Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Dane Kramer, and I am really glad that you're along for the ride today because we have what I think is a sort of a special edition of these podcasts. You know, sometimes when you think about missionaries, you think um, of some somebody working in some lost and forgotten jungle, uh, hacking their way through, uh, you know, thick leaves uh, to get to a, a lost and forgotten people. And even though that is the case sometimes, that's not the only missionaries that are in the church. Today we're going to talk to a missionary who is uh, working within our own boundaries, which it would within the United States is a missionary here. That may even bend some of your minds a little bit, thinking, what's a missionary doing here? But uh, he'll explain that. Uh, his mission field is uh, not focused entirely on, but uh, is, uh, is really about reaching the Muslim um, population. And so he works here within the United States trying to uh, reach a Muslim community in which he is immersed. And so a lot of exciting things going on with his ministry. Um, and I, what I really want to do today with this episode is just have you get a glimpse of what the body of Christ is doing. You know, sometimes we can become almost tunnel vision. We think in terms of what my church is doing or what I'm doing and things like that. We almost forget uh, that there are other things and other activities going on in other parts, not just of the world, but in our country. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today. Uh, his, we're going to call him Mark. Um, we can't use his real name just for security reasons, and he's going to talk about that a little bit today. So without any further delay, we're going to go to the recording of the interview with Mark, and I'll let him explain what's going on in his life and his ministry and what is God is doing uh, in that ministry. All right, here we are. Uh, I have uh, via the web uh, my guest, my very first guest here on um, the Thinking Christian podcast. We're going to call him Mark, and um, I'll let Mark explain the reasons why we're going to do that. Um, but uh, Mark, can you hear me okay? You're, you sound good. Okay, we're recording here. So um, Mark, I, I welcome you to the Thinking Christian podcast. You are the first uh, guest that I've ever had, and so that's kind of exciting for me. I appreciate you being here. Um, I wanted to talk to you because I'm aware of your your own personal ministry and uh, been kind of following you, not not really, really closely, but have been following you for some time. And I know that you do some work among uh, Muslims, and I just wanted to talk to you about that if we could today. Absolutely. It's my honor to be here and to be on the podcast, and uh, I hope that uh, Jesus uses this time to help encourage people to, to reach out to their Muslim friends and neighbors and uh, it's it's great to reconnect with you. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, before um, before we jump into that, tell me a little bit about your or tell your listeners, my listeners, a little bit about uh, yourself. How how would you want to introduce yourself today, Mark? Yeah, so I came to Christ in college. Uh, kind of was uh, radically born again of God's Spirit and. Uh, wanted to to pursue Jesus and and uh, His desire and will for my life uh, immediately, and so that's that's what I why what I wanted to do. And God eventually led me after I graduated to come to a a small city in uh, the middle of a much larger city in the United States that uh, is currently majority Muslim. And so I didn't know what I was getting into and made lots of mistakes, but for the last uh, eight years, I, that's where I have been ministering uh, to unreached people groups. And then about a year from now, I will be launching overseas to a restricted access nation, uh, to, uh, continue sharing with unreached people groups and, uh, with Muslim friends from a different part of the world. 
That's pretty exciting stuff. Um, one word you used that kind of caught my attention as you were talking, and that was uh, radical or radically saved. Um, tell me about that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, and I'm I'm used to sharing my my story in in short form. So if you want more details, you can ask. But uh, I was I was raised by a family that was very close to God. Uh, but whenever I was twelve or thirteen, I decided I want to run my own life. I want to make my own decisions without God. Uh, and I made a conscious decision. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to uh, do any of this, even though I still believed in God in a sense. If you would have asked me, did Jesus die on the cross for your sins? I would have said, yeah, but uh, I, I wanted to run my own life. And immediately life became really hard. I started going through adolescence, through teenage years, middle school, high school. And uh, I started uh, really struggling with mental illness and with bullying and uh, things got really bad and I got so tormented inside that I was uh, cutting myself. I was mm. burning, my, burning myself with matches um, and just, you know, had had the vilest uh, thought life, a, a very anti-God, uh, sacrilegious and so on. And uh, by the time I reached college, my, my freshman year, I started hearing voices in my head that mm. I, I could not control. And uh, I was terrified that I was losing my mind and uh, so I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, I will do whatever you want if you take these voices out of my head. And it's there's a long story about how God answered that prayer. But uh, he did answer. He answered my prayer. He took the voices away and then he spoke to me um, and he, he showed me uh, that he loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, for me personally. Uh, and and I, all of a sudden it was like God was interacting with God as a person, not just Mm-hmm. Uh, an idea, but uh, personally, he loved me. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And, um, you know, this, getting into a little bit more of the details, I remember sitting in my uh, dorm room after I had uh, prayed with a pastor. I was just under intense conviction about my sins and I, realizing for the first time in my life what an evil person I had been and uh, thinking, well, how do Christians live live this life when all I can see is my sin? And I prayed and I said, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to fill me with something. And I just remember mm. being overwhelmed uh, with the love of God, just how much uh, he loved me and how much I didn't deserve it. And just the, that reality of the, of the cross, just being overcome with tears and with love. And it just, it changed everything in an instance. A lot of people have kind of a gradual experience with God. And mm. I had a, 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 face first into the door experience. I mean, I was a different person overnight. Now, still a nasty piece of work and God's still still refining me. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, 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 changed, he changed my whole personality um, in one encounter. Do you think that what you describe for yourself is, is the, the normal, the normative Christian experience? Do you think it's uh, uh, abnormal? Do you think it's on the fringes? I mean, how would you describe that? How would you place that for us? That is an excellent question. I, I think I don't think that my experience is abnormal. Uh, I think, uh, and and that's what I pray for. And I don't want to hold up my experience as what everyone should have. But I, I'm praying for people who are radically born again of the Spirit of God, where their their lives are turned upside down. But as far as speed, like I said, some people encounter God gradually, and they gradually change. Um, and I think we can see uh, examples of that uh, in in the scriptures. Some people are raised in the faith, 
And some people have that uh, on the road to Damascus moment mm-hmm. where they where they are opposing God and they, their direction is radically changed uh, in an instant. And so that was certainly my experience. And, and uh, you know, I pray that uh, whether someone lives a, a decent life or a horrible life, that they have the kind of experience where they're, they're radically born again and are a new person. You know, I, I can imagine some of the listeners, uh, not all, but some perhaps listening to your testimony and who've had that gradual kind of experience that, uh, you know, no, no warm and fuzzy feeling coming over them, no powerful um, uh, senses, you know, overwhelming them. And they're thinking, wow, I've never heard that kind of stuff before. You know, that's that's just different, um, you know, because it isn't heard by everyone, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I can't speak to, to everyone in everyone's uh, circumstance, but I think uh, one thing that, you know, I, I experienced a powerful conviction before I got saved, and I think most of us can relate to that that powerful conviction. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to testify uh, to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's telling us not just that we, we know Jesus is present, but when the Holy Spirit's ministering to us, we feel and we sense his presence uh, in, a, in a different kind of way. And I think that that was really what was happening at my conversion and throughout our lives that as the Holy Spirit ministers to us in different ways, uh, Jesus is is made more real to us in our emotions, in our feelings, or 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 uh, in an experiential way, not just a, a words on the page kind of way. Now, uh, you know, God values faith, and it, we walk by faith and not by feelings. But uh, I think all of us should should pursue the, the Holy Spirit and and getting more involved in him, in Him and His His ministry, and also. Uh, getting his him and his ministry more involved in in our lives, and uh, I w- I am blessed and benefited by uh, all the people who were praying for me, and also just by uh, God's amazing grace that that uh, the Holy Spirit really answered my prayer in in that in that way. I imagine what would have happened if I had prayed that prayer, or if I had sat in my dorm room and said, "Oh God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to fill me with something." That's what I prayed, but I'm imagining what if I had sat in my dorm room and not prayed that prayer? Mm. Uh, would I be walking a, a, a different kind of life today? I, I don't know. Those are kind of it's sure. hard to it's hard to draw uh, theological concu- conclusions from experiences. But regardless, my life was changed. And so after your very powerful, very real conversion, I mean, you didn't kind of just like okay, I checked that box off. Now it's on to something else. Um, you uh, kind of threw yourself into ministry uh, very, very quickly, very early. Would you say? I mean, you became very, very involved in serving Jesus. So would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was involved in campus ministry. Uh, uh, with I showed up to everything. I showed up to everything there was to show up to, and I think part of that was, you know, I had prayed the sinner's prayer three hundred times, you know, growing up. But uh, whenever I I really encountered God, I had prayed, "I will do whatever you want," and I think I really meant it. And I think that's why God answered that prayer was it was a genuine prayer from the heart. I wasn't trying to get something out of God or make something happen in a sense. I was trying to to make a deal, but I, I meant that I would do whatever he wanted. And I think that was the lordship part of, of my life and what really saved me. And I think uh, that's missing for, for some people is that uh, God's leadership in our lives, where we're totally submitted to him as Lord and master, uh, is, is part of salvation. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I told God, I'll do whatever you want. And so then I was on a mission to find out what does God want? Um, and you know, there's a, there's a lot to, to the answer to that question. But I, uh, in my, uh, uh, early readings of the Bible, I quickly came away with God wants people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that is a, is a call to ministry and, and, obedience uh you know ministry essentially is just obedience to god um and you know that's what what i i was pursuing and and that's really like uh, what i wanted to do the number one drive of my heart which is interesting it's not necessarily that you felt a call or you got a sign go here do this you just had this urgency kind of built into your heart this is what you need to do right i mean would that be a way of describing it Absolutely. It was primarily and first a, a desire to, I have to do what God wants. So I want to find out what God wants and do it. Um, and I was so grateful for his love that, uh, uh, you know, that motivated me even more. So you are currently involved uh, in ministry, not, not just to uh, the Muslim community, but that's where you, you find yourself a big part of it. Was that something that you uh, from the very beginning, oh, I, I need to go and talk to those involved in Islam, or how did that happen? Yeah, so that's another uh, a strange story. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I realized that the number thing, one thing that God wants is people. He wants love relationships with his children, and I think I can make a strong case from Scripture that that's, uh, you know, God, God's desire and plan for the church is to, to fulfill uh, uh, glorifying him through uh, extending love relationships with the rest of the world. And uh, so I wanted to be involved in missions and in the great commission. And I remember my junior year, I was uh, filling out an application to a missions organization. They were going to hire me as a journalist. Um, and I thought that was great. And was I was like, Hey, if they'll hire me to scrub their toilets, that would be great too. Mm. Um, but God told me, no, I just, knew as I was filling out the application, I was like, this is not right. And so I went into my senior year saying, and people would ask, always ask, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I was like, ah, maybe join the circus. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the spring of, of that year, I had a, a dream. And in the dream, I saw the, uh, a word and it was a it was a name that didn't make sense. It didn't have the spelling of the syllables. Now, because I'm protecting my anonymity, I can't uh, tell you what the, what the name of the place was, but it, it was a, a, na- a, a word, and I woke up and I thought, oh, there is no such word. That must have been bad pizza that I was dreaming about. And then uh, I think a month later, I, my campus pastor said, hey, for spring break, we're going on a trip to, and he said this name, mm. the, the name of this little, little city inside a city. And I thought, oh, I should probably go on that trip. Uh, <laughs> and so I went, and that was, you know, the first time uh, Muslims were on my radar as far as anything. And and I didn't really get a, a call to a people group or, or a, a religious group per se. God called me to that specific place, and uh, Muslims were who were there. And so I had to learn. And, and uh, as as God opened doors, it became clear, you know, the people group and and uh, the, the Muslims, uh, focus and so on. But I, I still think, you know, I, I, I still have that passion to, to reach anybody who's far from God. And, and sometimes like Paul, I feel my, my heart, uh, by nature is more, uh, uh, I feel more compassion towards, uh, other kinds of people, not just 
not just Muslims. But that was this is where God's put me, and uh, you know, it it is definitely a huge need in the world today. Yeah, you know, I absolutely positively get what you're talking about um, because, in a sense, it's it's the same for me as you as you probably know, Mark. Um, I uh, am involved in um, a jail ministry, and it's not like this is a a group of people that you know has been a burden on my heart to go after. Um, it's just a door that opened. Uh, you know, I at that time I was looking to minister anywhere, and that door opened, and so that's where I went. Um, so I, I get what you mean. You know, I mean, just just want to do what God wants, and it just happened to be in jail ministry. So when you're talking about what you just described, I totally get that. I mean, I really do. Um, so what uh, what type of in- uh, obstacles have you encountered uh, in in ministering to Muslims, Mark? Yeah, there are a, a, a number of obstacles. Uh, one is is language. Uh, even though these people are immigrants to the United States and speak some English uh, and sometimes very good English, there's still a a heart connection with their original language. Uh, and even talking about spiritual things can be difficult, even if somebody is pretty mm-hmm. fluent uh, in English, if it's not their heart language, uh, those things. But also uh, religious barriers, Islam, uh, people are taught from the time they're little that Jesus did not die on the cross, that he is not God or the son of God. He is only a prophet, that no one can bear the sins of another. And most of them are taught that if you leave Islam, you deserve to die and to be killed by the community uh, around you. And so those are those are huge obstacles. Yeah, they're, they're huge. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, especially and if you leave Islam, you die, you know, or to, to, to Allah. I mean, that's 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 pretty that's pretty huge. I would imagine their mind and being ingrained like that. So. How do you over, overcome them? I mean, how do you work through those obstacles? Like, for example, the, the language. What do you do with a language barrier? Yeah, well, mainly with the language barrier, I struggle. <laughs> so we use all kinds of multimedia uh, in uh, people's native languages. Uh, we So technology is great for that. Google Translate. I've got videos that I can show on my phone. The Jesus film is in uh, all kinds of languages, and the Jesus film has an app which actually had, contains numerous short videos in many, many different languages. In fact, you can even look up people's villages, and sometimes they'll have dialects from that person's village. Uh, and uh, uh, version has Bibles in multiple languages. You can find multiple translations uh, in, in different languages and have people read stuff on your phone. So we use a lot of multimedia. We use translators hey, partnering up with national with believers from that ethnic background who speak that language is a huge uh, blessing. But really, if I could talk to my young self from eight years ago, uh, I would say, Mark, learn the language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would uh, be hammering it. So I am struggling to learn. Uh, but uh, right now, I probably will not reach fluency until I, I head overseas. And I'm really immersed in that culture. So... But really, as you're, as you're telling me this, and I'm just kind of picturing, that almost might be the least of your obstacles because once you get through the language barrier, now you have all these other obstacles that you just described in place, such as Jesus was just a prophet. He didn't uh, die for the sins of the world. He isn't God's son. Um, I mean, so you have all these theological obstacles next. So just, and, and if you're able to communicate through the Jesus film and through the app and through the resources that you named, now you still have everything else in front of you, don't you? 
Absolutely. And that is, uh, it, it takes a miracle for anyone to come to Christ. Uh, I, I'm, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm a cynical person, and I think a lot of people uh, in the United States say yes to Jesus as their Savior and no to Jesus as their Lord. And in the United States, they can get away with that. Uh, Muslims have a much harder pro- uh, time doing that. If they say yes uh, to Jesus, it may cost them their life. And so uh, there are, I think there are fewer uh, false conversions among in the Muslim world, and it is a genuine miracle anytime someone comes to Christ because they are turning away from ideas that they have been taught from the time they are little. They have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that is so real and so convincing, not just my words. They have to experience it for themselves. And that's uh, the, the number one thing is we have to pray and see miracles there. I have no, no faith that my gospel presentation on its own is going to convince or persuade anybody. It has to be the Spirit of God, uh, uh, you know, who's prepared somebody, who speaks to somebody in a supernatural way. Uh, and even uh, sometimes a, a l- long period of time, we, we have people that it takes uh, years of walking through the scriptures. Now, I don't want to give up the fact that anybody can come to Christ in a single moment through an encounter with him. Uh, but often uh, people have to take time to discover the truth for themselves and uh, seek God in prayer and, and receive that those those touches from the Holy Spirit again and again and again before they have the strength to, to walk away from what they've been taught, uh, often to walk away from their community and often uh, to walk away from their family if, if uh, their family does not respond well. And we, we do multiple things to try to prevent that, but it does happen. You know, what, the one question that I that just kind of want to ask is, uh, because I've read a lot of, of accounts, uh, and I know right now, especially in places like the Middle East, uh, the Spirit of God is moving among uh, Muslim communities, um, and, and people are being saved um, based on these missionary accounts that I read. And one thing that I see that's a common denominator in, in the salvation of a, a lot of Muslims is uh, is dreams and visions, uh, that this is a really a, a common occurrence. Now, is this something that you have personally encountered in your uh, mission among Muslims? Yeah, absolutely. I I think these these testimonies are, are all over the place. People are uh, reading them and seeing them and so on. And uh, I know people personally who have had dreams uh, and visions of Jesus. I know per- people personally who have come to Christ uh, through them. Uh, and so that is definitely something that Jesus is doing. And, and one of the things that we've learned is to ask people about their dreams, mm. uh, because often uh, Jesus is speaking to people through dreams and visions. I will say, though, that, uh, uh, and there, this is not in any way a criticism, but I think this is one of the things that I didn't realize coming to uh, the mission field and the ministry that I had to learn uh, later, is that uh, we we only publish and write stories about people who had dreams and visions and then came to Christ. Uh, and so that leads us to believe, oh, if someone has a dream or vision of Jesus, that's an automatic, you know, salvation. They're going to come to Christ. And so far, my experience is that that's not always true. Mm. Hmm. That, that like any other gospel seed or any other sign or miracle that God does in someone's life, it's an invitation to receive the gospel, but it doesn't, uh, I know plenty of people who have had uh, uh, dreams, some multiple dreams, and, and some really um, powerful encounters with Jesus through dreams and visions who are not yet believers today, Okay, uh, at yeah. least as far as I know. And so 
uh, my experience with with miracles in people's lives is is uh, uh, much like I think what Jesus experienced when he ministered on the earth. He healed so many people, and so many people experienced his power. Uh, yet so few people chose to follow him uh, during his life on earth. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that, you know, not that they're Mark, but as you're telling me this, and I'm not going to mention his name before I hit the recording, I was talking about a young man uh, with you that um, had gone to Turkey. And I'm just not going to mention his name because he plans to go back. But when he was in, in Turkey and he was in Muslim communities, uh, as he would write to us, uh, he one thing that he was specifically praying for is uh, that these people that he was working with would have dreams, uh, dreams and visions. And now for the listeners who don't know what either of us are talking about, um, it, it's just a, a phenomenon that's apparently occurring uh, and, and has occurred for some time um, heavily among Muslim communities, Muslim believers, that they will have very vivid, uh, very real dreams and encounters or dreams or visions that oftentimes will lead them. Uh, to people who will tell them about Jesus Christ. I mean, is that that's sort of what, in a nutshell, I suppose, as I understand it, is that the same as you are understanding it? Yeah, people have have dreams, and and uh, many times these dreams uh, set up an encounter with uh, uh, a a physical person who shares the gospel with right. that person. So it's it's kind of an introduction. Occasionally, you'll hear stories of people who come to Christ solely through. Uh, uh, miraculous or visionary or, or dream encounter with Jesus, but often it, it's connected to gospel proclamation. Which is, Mark, it just fascinates me that that God, instead of sending an angel to someone or you know some and, and some being to preach the gospel, what He seems to do is direct these people to people. You know, I mean, He could do it perfectly or, or perhaps better through through another being. Uh, but he doesn't. It seems like quite often is the case that he directs these people to talk to people, you know, and that just blows my mind, you know. Mine too. And I've got uh, my theories and, and some theology to, to nod it up to think about this, but it, it's incredible that God uh, loves to use his church and has given the Great Commission to yeah. us as a responsibility. It's yeah. just mind-blowing. It is. It is. It, it really is. And it's just, uh, again, a fascinating phenomenon. So that's one thing that I wanted to ask you, if you're finding this also in the West, as it seems to be in the East. And uh, the answer sounds like is yes. Um, you know, I, I wonder if one of the reasons why this is the case is that um, uh, in Islam, uh, a pretty high premium is uh, placed on dreams and visions, uh, perhaps more so than us in the West. You know, if we, we have a dream, it, as you said earlier, it's chalked up to bad pizza the night before, and we don't think too much about it. But uh, in the East, um, where this, you know, this faith came from, uh, a higher premium is placed on. So I'm not, I'm wondering if that isn't one of the reasons why God, you know, elects to use it. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think you're right. I think people pay attention to dreams. I think, Another thing is that we need the supernatural help. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the other thing is I secretly wonder uh, how many people in the West uh, that are not from Muslim background, that God is, is attempting to reach them in those kinds of ways and, and people don't listen. You know, we mm. have, have uh, published enough books and accounts of Muslims coming to Christ through dreams that now we pray uh, that our Muslim friends have dreams. We're all very aware of it, about it. We ask our Muslim friends about uh, whether or not they're having dreams or if they've e ever dreamed of a holy man coming to them and so on. And I wonder 
uh, if, if God is not reaching out in similar ways to people from other cultures and even from Western culture, and we're just don't, not picking up on it as much. Yeah. Very, very possible. You know, uh, not to interrupt your story, but uh, in, in the jail a number of months ago, I was talking to some gentlemen, and I, I try to challenge them just to ask God to show up in their lives. You know, just, just show up. If, if See if he doesn't. Um, and just a little left it at that, saying, that, well, if he doesn't show up, then I guess you could ignore all of this. And so uh, one of the men shared with me later that he kind of took that to heart. And we, when the Bible study was over, he went back to his cell, and he prayed that God would show up. I don't know what kind of language he used, but something to that effect. And he told me later that that night he, he awoke in his jail cell and he said someone was there and he, he was alone. There was no one else in his cell. And he, he could sense that someone was in there. And he said it wasn't frightening, but he just sensed the presence of someone there. Uh, well, I knew who it was, you know, and, uh, and I hope he learned who it was. But and there's an example of what you're talking about, that maybe in our own culture, God is using these supernatural events more often than we credit him with. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and praise God for that. I think Jesus said he had come to seek and to save that which was lost, and, and Jesus is still reaching out uh, throughout the world uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to reach lost people. Yeah. Um, question. Another question I want to ask you is, is the term Allah. Um, uh, this is an Arabic term, uh, and it's just a sort of a general term for God, if I'm not mistaken, used uh, in the Muslims to describe God. Um, and I've heard some Western missionaries discussing as to whether or not they should use that term as they talk about God the Father, if it causes any kind of confusion. And I was curious to know if you had any input, any thoughts about that. Yeah, and this is a, a dis- debated issue uh, in the, the missions world and in uh, cross-cultural ministry. And there are a number of these kinds of issues uh, when it comes to reaching uh, out to Muslims, uh, some of them more, more extreme. Uh, I do use the term Allah when reaching out to Muslims, uh, and uh, there, there are a few reasons for that. Uh, one is that Allah means something different in Arabic than it does in English. Uh, okay. So in, in English, uh, we only use the term Allah when we're talking about the God of Islam. But in Arabic... The, the term Allah is used by Jews, Christians, and Muslims to talk about the one God who created everything and was the God of Abraham. Uh, so, it, and the, the term Allah in Arabic predates Islam. People were using that, that word to mean the one God or the God uh, before Islam. So, uh, I still use the term Allah. Uh, now, because I often work in English, I also interchange it with God. So I'll use Allah and God uh, interchangeably so that uh, so they, they understand um, what I mean. Uh, I think the other thing is that uh, there are some, I, I would, if you ask me, is the God of Islam the same as the God of the Bible? I will say no. Uh, I think the only, the only true God is the God who's revealed himself perfectly through Jesus Christ. Uh, and it, and but that also uh, filters out uh, Orthodox Jews. Um, so there's a, a question of whether or not their concept of God can be transformed uh, in a way that it's safe to use the word. Uh, and the comparison I often use is Krishna. Uh, whenever I'm talking with my Hindu friends who are, are are Krishna cult Hindus, I don't use the term Krishna for God. Because in their mind, Krishna is a giant blue guy with multiple arms, mm. you know, who had an inappropriate relationship with his mother. That's too far away 
from my concept of God to be transformed. Krishna is just way out there. Whereas Allah, the one creator God who created everything and spoke to Adam and Eve, Moses, Noah, uh, Abraham, uh, there's enough in common there that that concept of God can be transformed um, into an understanding of uh, the God of the Bible who uh, came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and is the triune uh, God. Makes perfect sense to me. It really does. And when I heard about the debate, I mean, as I understood the word, and, and I didn't have as, as good of an understanding as you just explained it, but even as I understood, I thought, I don't see a real big problem with that. Um, and again, I didn't know that all the issues involved, but again, it makes total sense to me. Why not use the word? You know, it's a word they're familiar with, and it really doesn't harm your your theology in any way, just in using that word. And I like how you, you know, intermix it with God, um, you know, back and forth. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's often the case in uh, Muslim cultures where uh, people will come to Christ out of Islam uh, and they become uh, very sour with Islam and rightfully so. And they, and some of them become very angry with what they previously believed. So uh, there is another word in Arabic that solely refers to the Christian God uh, that was has been used much later in history uh, that some Christian churches, uh, some uh, formerly Muslim or some Arab Christian churches use instead of the word Allah because they want to distance themselves from anything Islam. And, and I think they have an argument that is worth hearing. Uh, but I also think that uh, if we are mature in Christ, we have to be willing to lay down our culture uh, to reach uh, the lost. And so wow. um, yeah. I, I think I, I have to lay down what I'm comfortable with uh, in order to use language that is true. I'm not out to deceive anybody, but to use language that communicates accurately to the person that I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, whenever I want to communicate somebody the, to somebody the truth, about the one God, if I use a different word from than Allah, they are going to be distracted and they're going to be thinking uh, that I'm talking about a different God than the one that uh, they were, think it's right to worship. They're actually, I'm in, in their minds, I'm inviting them to apostasy. Yeah. It, again, makes sense when the, some of them when during the great sort of mission explosion back in the early uh, 19th century, um, a lot of the failed mission uh, trips, I guess, mission um, outreaches were failures because there was an effort being made to make uh, the people that they were trying to reach into who we are, you know, to, to make them conform into our culture, into our whoever we are. And, and, the, and that's the beauty. One of the beauties of the gospel is um, it, you know, it, it's flexible. Uh, and in these points that don't matter, you know, you don't have to make somebody Western to make them Christian. You don't have, you know, early Christians had to realize that you don't have to make them Jewish to make them Christian, you know? Um, and so the gospel can seize upon anybody at any point in their life, really. Absolutely. Uh, the, the first believers were first century Jews, but you and I do not live or talk or dress or act like first century Jews. Uh, the gospel has penetrated our culture. Uh, and while our culture has, you know, uh, positive and negative things about it, uh, the gospel is at home uh, in our culture. But we have to recognize we, we have to lay down our culture to reach another culture. And then when that culture let's say they receive the gospel when they are mature, 
they'll be able to lay down their culture to reach another. So we both, we contextualize uh, by uh, laying down our culture uh, and putting the gospel into the culturally appropriate terms of the people we're trying to reach. Um, and then we indigenize, which means that that uh, gospel mm-hmm. becomes at home in their culture and then they're ready to lay it down to reach the next mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. So That's exciting stuff. Yeah. Oh, it did. It did. Yeah. And I did, it kind of just thrilled me to hear you describe it that way. That's awesome stuff. Um, Mark, one more thing I just want to cover with you. I know, um, just again, sort of loosely following your ministry and, and I'm not, you know, I don't follow it, every podcast you put out or everything you do, uh, your outreach, everything, but I know that you've been involved in scriptural memorization. Uh, this is a, sort of a passion of yours and um, it is of mine a number of years ago. I, I set out to, to memorize the, uh, the words of Jesus as much as I could and started out with a, a Sermon on the Mount and then the, the Olivet Discourse and so on and so forth. And so it's something that I've enjoyed doing, but uh, I just want to hear you talk about it a little bit uh, yourself, uh, your passion for it and and what you've learned about it. Yeah. So for a long time, I did not intentionally uh, memorize scripture. I just read the Bible a whole, whole lot and I listened to lots of sermons. And so I knew a fair amount of scripture, uh, individual verses and so on, just from that. And I could paraphrase lots of scripture. But um, in the last few years, I started connecting uh, uh, with different leaders and, and my mentor, uh, and so on really emphasized scriptural memorization and, uh, it became uh, a discipline that they wanted everybody to do. Uh, and a lot of my peers, uh, who were leaders who had, had had a long practice of this were memorizing whole books of the Bible. Um, and so I was behind, I did not have any kind of, uh, a memorization practice in my life. But I was like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And rather than in memorizing individual verses, uh, they had a method that they that they had used that was successful for them in, in memorizing uh, long passages of Scripture. And I had had a lifetime goal of memorizing the book of First John. So I said, hey, I'll give this a shot. And so I tried it. The, the way uh, that they it was taught to me was called the 5x5 five five method. Um, and so you... You pick five to ten verses, uh, and uh, you review those verses five times a day, five days a week, uh, and then you uh, move on to your your next group of verses. So on Monday, uh, you have your quiet time. You take a whole hour to, let's say, memorize First John one one through five, and then you're going to review First John one one through five uh, on on your way to work. Uh, at lunchtime, on your way home from work, and at dinner time, and so you're gonna get get those five verses five times that day, five times on Tuesday, five times on Wednesday, five times on Thursday, five times on Friday. Then on Monday, you're gonna memorize five new verses, but you're gonna review all ten. You're gonna review First John one one through ten, and so using that method, I was able to memorize the entire book of First John. That's awesome. Uh, you know, what a cool accomplishment. I, I don't use your plan. I, I sort of another way that I started working on um, Bible memorization. And what I discovered, and I don't know if you can echo this or not, is it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, it, it really kind of came rather easily. And I was surprised with how, how easy it was to actually memorize some of the scripture. You know, I don't know if that was your experience or not. Yeah, uh, i had uh, different experiences. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. 
Uh, I would, I would say this though, it's way more about discipline than it is about being smart. Yeah. It, it's all oh, yeah. about, it's all about habits and, and, and repetition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. When I started working on the Sermon on the Mount, I would just, and I did it while I was driving, you know, probably not the safest way to, to, to memorize scripture, but you know, I had all this windshield time. And so I started just working on memories, uh, memorizing the Sermon on the Mount and it just flowed. And it was, it was, it was, not, it was so easy that, I, okay, let's go on to the next section of scripture. There are five great discourses of Jesus and Matthew. And my goal was to get them all memorized. I fell short of that goal. I uh, the discipline is what what uh, uh, I, I, I fell. I just got off track. You know, I memorized about half of it and uh, never finished it up. But um, yeah, not a hard process in my opinion. So, what would you say to to the listeners who are thinking, "Oh man, I can't do that. Uh, I can't memorize scripture like that." Well, I would say uh, number one. Uh, give it a shot. Try. Do something. So even if it's picking one verse and you memorize one verse on Monday and then try reviewing it three times a day, like maybe whenever you wake up at lunch and dinner. Um, and then, hey, you're memorizing a verse a week and you'll be surprised that with that amount of review, uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be easy. If you mm. just uh, set alarms on your phone or whatever, uh, give something a try uh, and then build on it from there. And, and that's what I did. You m- might not be uh, as ambitious enough to, to tackle a whole book. That is a big project. Uh, and, but if you're committed and you're faithful to the habit, uh, you, you can do it. It doesn't matter, uh, how, you know, how smart you are. If you, if you do the reps, you'll get it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Mark, I'm going to wrap this up. I so appreciate you taking the time out of your day, uh, to talk with me, uh, to be a guest here. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, it's been fun. I, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you very much. Well, it was my it was my honor. I appreciated your your questions, your interest, uh, and also just your your enthusiasm for the mission and the gospel. Yeah. Um, if you're a, if you're a listener and you're interested in in uh, reaching out to Mark, can I talk about this? Uh, because he's got to. Uh, just kind of maintain some uh, some uh, anonymity with his own ministry. If I know you and you're interested in reaching out to him, you need to contact me personally. And if I know you, I can hook you up with him. Uh, that way, um, we'll stay secure. So, uh, sound good to you? That sounds great. I would be happy to uh, to connect with anybody, even if it's just somebody who uh, comments on your on the podcast or, or a link you share or something. Oh uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with people. Great. Okay. Yeah. And so let me end with this. Uh, you're listening to uh, the Thinking Christian podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Thinking Christian, just go to the thethinkingchristian.us. That'll direct you to my website, and there you'll find uh, this podcast. And there'll be a section there you can uh, leave comments. So uh, if you appreciated Mark's presence here. Uh, and want to know more or anything like that or even have questions uh, for him you could go ahead and leave that uh, question or comment uh, on my website and uh, perhaps we'll even interact with you there so Mark thanks again I appreciate it Um, thanks for uh, uh, coming with me and uh, you know prayerfully wish you the very best in your future uh, mission for our Lord Jesus Christ Amen thank you so much Dean this is Dane Kramer signing off from the Thinking Christian Podcast. 